after back-to-back losses to the Titans and Vikings, the Seattle Seahawks find themselves 1-2 and and in last place in the NFC West. So how much trouble are they really in? Let's light it up and find out. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome to the Cigar Lounge, y'all. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with our incredible producer, Mike Barwin, this is the formal debut of the Cigar Thoughts podcast. Mike, how are you? You know, in the words of a great philosopher who I'm sure we'll discuss sooner rather than later, (laughs) I'm fired up, guys. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. Uh, That's awesome, man. Well, I can't tell y'all how thrilled we are to be doing this, and I want to thank everyone that has supported the article over the years. And for those of you who have asked for this to become a podcast, um, this is something that we've thought about for a long time, and we really wanted to make sure that when we did it, we did it right. And and I think that we're feeling really good about that. A lot of you who are listening are familiar with the Cigar Thoughts column over at Field Goals already, but for those of you who are here because a friend referred you, or because you accidentally clicked on the wrong show, or worst of all, you're a Seahawks fan, then I'm just going to take a quick minute to tell you what we're all about. Cigar Thoughts started out for me as a means of post-game therapy after Seahawks uh, contests. It was like a psychological outlet disguised as an article where I could just light up a stogie and kind of release my thoughts and feelings about the game, the team, etc., onto the page so they didn't keep echoing around in my head forever. And it's crazy to me that it's had the impact that it has within the Seahawks community, and I'm beyond grateful for that. And to answer a common question that we've got since we announced the podcast, uh, no, the articles aren't going anywhere. You'll still be subjected to my semi-coherent ramblings a couple hours after every game. Um, But that being said, in addition to a fully-fledged weekly discussion like this, uh, we will also be adding an audio read of the Cigar Thoughts article uh, every week after the game as well. So you can listen to it on the go if you don't have time to sit down and read it. Mike and I have been extraordinarily blessed to be supported in this venture by a number of really talented people, and we're extremely stoked about the guests that we have for you this season, including the gentleman joining us today. Many of you know him as the former managing editor of Field Goals, and millions more know him as one of the hosts of the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Danny Kelly, welcome aboard. What's happening, man? How are you doing? (laughs) Great, man. Thanks for joining. (laughs) Yeah, congrats on the pod. I know this has been a long time coming, and I'm really excited to to see where you take this. And um, I want to just also like when you were doing the intro, the therapy thing, like the post-game therapy, like that really hit home for me because I think you've been doing this since I was running field, like 2011, 2012 or something like that. 10th year. Yeah. So this is like the 10 year anniversary, which is insane to think about. I remember when I first started doing the field goal thing, the first thing I did was we went to Ishka we went to a bar in Bellingham, Washington, and had a beer. And I was like, dude, you got to help me get this thing off the ground. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I first of all, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate everything that you've done for field goals over the years. And also just for my general sanity, um, the therapy thing really hit home for me. Like when the, when the game is over and because football games in general are just like three hours of complete chaos, right? Like, <laughs> there's 24 people or 22 people at all times running around. You know, there's just like a million different things. You can't tell what the hell's happening. Half the time you can't remember like any of the plays from the first half. And then so like when the game ends, I'm like, okay, how do I how am I supposed to feel about this game? Like what am I supposed to feel? So like that's what I think Cigar Thoughts is. Um has been for the site for the longest time. It's like my go to just kinda like get myself back to neutral, figure out what the hell I, what the hell just happened, um, how I'm supposed to feel about it, whether I'm supposed to be sad or happy or whatever. So uh, yeah, congratulations on on that, and, and congrats on the ten year anniversary, and congrats on the podcast. It's awesome. That's hey, thanks, man. I I appreciate that. Uh, you you mentioned it's been a while since you were at Field Goals. You have come a long way. I mean, you know, for those of you listening that have joined Field Goals in the last few years, uh, you know, we've had some really talented people in Kenneth Arthur and Mookie Alexander running it since Danny left. Uh, but it became what it is under Danny's tutelage. Uh, that being said, you have been granted some really cool opportunities in the industry since then. Uh, 
why don't you take a little time and kind of tell everybody how you got to where you're at. The sixth most listened to sports podcast in America. <laughs> yeah, at that on that day that I look, happened to go look at it. Yeah. Um, so I did field goals for, long, for a long time. I started working my way up in, at SB Nation, doing some national stuff for them, doing some uh, social media stuff, kind of just doing whatever I can to get my name out there and, and do more analysis and things like that. did draft stuff. And then I got... Um, picked up by the ringer in, I think 2016. So I've been there for five years now, which is weird to think about. Um, and yeah, again, like, at, at, like, like I did at SB nation, I did, I've kind of done at the ringer. I've kind of expanded my repertoire, picked up some draft stuff, um, do the draft guide there at the ringer. And then I've been doing fantasy football real hard the last couple of years. Uh, and the pod that you mentioned, the fantasy, the, the ringer fantasy football podcast has been a lot of fun. Craig Holbeck, Danny Heifetz and I doing our maniac bits, uh, couple times a week and, and trying to help people out with fantasy football. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, definitely still a Seahawks fan and try and watch the games, rewatch the games as much as I can. But it's just like, man, I, as we're going to get into, like, it's still like just as frustrating as it always has been. So, <laughs> so you're saying the decade of cigar thoughts therapy hasn't really worked all that well. <laughs> There's a running bit about how watching the Seahawks gives me adrenaline headaches every Sunday or whenever they're playing. It's like, as soon as the game is over, I just get this like splitting headache because I've had, you know, like an hour and a half of adrenaline the second half, knowing that the plays, the game is going to come down to the final play typically. Um, which is maybe like the most, the thing that's the most different about the Seahawks this year is like, they've played two pretty boring games at the end They're Obviously the OT game was uh, probably enough to like make up for it, I guess. But they're two of the most normal games we've seen in the Seahawks era, I think, or in the Pete Carroll era have happened yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I went back and I looked. Since Pete Carroll became coach, literally 98% of Seahawks games have come down to the last play. Which is great, I guess, if you're looking for entertainment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, I'm I'm pretty entertained out, man. I, <laughs> I, I could go for just like a little bit of normalcy. You know what's funny is you mentioned that second game with the Titans. And I was at that game, and of course, you know, places going bananas. His first home game in two seasons, and and all that stuff. And first half, it's absolutely rocking. Second half, a little bit too. But it was weird, man. Even in overtime in the building, it just sort of felt inevitable at that point. Like there was there was no surprise. I think uh, <laughs> that the Titans won that, which was which was a weird feeling, especially given how encouraged we all were after Week One. I'm still trying to figure out if the Seahawks even have a home like advantage anymore you know what i mean it's like the i feel like the home home field advantage has eroded in the nfl of late uh, over the last like five years or so i you know there's statistics for it. it's like the home field advantage is eroding for whatever reason many reasons i'm sure a lot of it has to do with uh officiating and um i don't know what like other reasons but like it's one of those things where it doesn't really seem like the seahawks home field advantage is as strong as it used to be yeah you know it's interesting i've thought about that a fair amount and one of the things that I notice about really high level athletes these days is their emphasis on mental coaching yeah. and, and mindset coaching. And I wonder if for the first hundred years of American sports, I mean, it was just like you get super riled up and you go out and you play and, and the emotions of a home game are going to have a big effect on that. And, and I wonder if a lot of that is just muted now because there is so much effort put into these athletes and by these athletes to really control their mental state. And I imagine that that does a little bit to uh, dampen the swings between being at home and being on the road. That's just pet theory though. Well, I think, I think that's definitely part of it. I think, and, and like in addition to that, or like, I guess like parallel to that people are just quarterbacks just in general are better now. Like the efficiency numbers are insane. The, part of the officiating is like, it's just so much easier to pass these days, like defenses. I really don't know how teams expect to play defense anymore. Like it, it would be so frustrating to be a defender at this point in time, because like everything, every little thing you do is, is a foul and everything is geared towards making more offense. So I think the way that the game go is going and the way that coach or the way that um, quarterbacks are developed and the way that offenses run now, all kind of like mixed together, just like easier for quarterbacks. It's easier for offense. And therefore, home field advantage, which I think the big thing for home field advantage is like defenses get a jump on the pass rush. Like that's one of the big things. And that's still an advantage. It's still something that matters, but it's like the, it just doesn't matter as much anymore because 
everything else is just so much easier on offense, I guess. And maybe that's, I mean, I'm just kind of like spitballing, but um, to your point about the Seahawks, it's like, it's just, man, it's just hard to have like the, it's just a weird feeling now with that inevitability. Like it did feel like, well, maybe it's just because Derrick Henry is inevitable, but um, <laughs> he is inevitable, man. Of, of all NFL players, it's like, he's the most inevitable other than Brady, maybe. Yeah, no, it was it was like watching Thanos in the backfield, man. It was. Yeah. It here's the thing, like one of the coolest. Things, I I love watching games at home. Like I really love it. The in home viewing experience has gotten so good. The beer's already paid for. It's a few steps away. Yeah. The seats are comfortable. All that stuff. But one of the cool things about going to a game live is you get a few guys that are so elite (laughs) you get to see in person like dk metcalf in person it's just different than what you see on television derrick henry man like i was excited i was like half cheering going to the game for like a breakaway derrick henry run just to see it and when he does it like it's it's crazy it's a crazy thing to to see but you know i i agree with you danny that the uh game has gotten a lot easier for the quarterbacks and I think that provides a beautiful transition <laughs> to the Vikings game. Thank you. <laughs> because the Seahawks made it very easy on Kirk Cousins in that one. Uh, I know you were just going back and rewatching it the other day. Uh, tell me what jumped out to you. So, yeah, the one thing I think the, the primary thing that jumped out to me, well, a, a number of things, did, but like I texted you actually when I was watching, is like when, when you're watching in the third quarter, and it was all, it, I watched the all 22. So there's no sound. There's no nothing. It's just like, you can just see what the guys are doing before and after the play. And they're just yelling at each other after like every second play, because they're just some random guy running wide open across the field. No, let me, let me see. Let me say that again. Not random guy, Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson, two of the biggest superstar receivers in the NFL are just running around free. Like no one even within 10 yards. Oh, of I, them. I forgot about that guy. <laughs> it's like so ridiculous. Um, and then they're barking at each other and, and mad at each other. And it's like, there's a, there's a fine line. And I think that the LOB, like obviously Seahawks fans have been so freaking spoiled over the years watching the LOB. Um, and they were always like, you know, they're, they get mad at each other. They yell at each other, but they're also elite, elite players. And it's like, they're walking that fine line between um, crumbling, you know, like falling apart at the foundation and just, playing out of their minds insanely good or whatever and so you know this is not that defense like this is this is a bunch of players that are not as talented not as good and and not as in tune with the scheme not running it clearly not running it well and I don't know it it was demoralizing honestly to watch that it's just like I I don't you know it's like how do you fix that? I really don't like know there if there is an answer I don't there sorry that's just the thing there is no answer like there is no easy answer um because I would imagine Pete Carroll has been running this for 57 years now. It would probably have like figured it out by now if there was like a really easy answer. Um, so I guess my first reaction was sort of like, this is demoralizing watching this defense. On the other hand, I'm not worried about the offense. Like the offense is good. The offense is really good. And so it was a, it was a bit of a dichotomy, obviously. I mean, this is what we were, what the Seahawks have turned into over the last couple of years. I think like last year, the defense got better as the year went on, but they also started facing like, shitty quarterbacks <laughs> like down the stretch that helps Kirk Cousins is good for all his faults <laughs> he is, he's man. good at football he's really so, good at it yeah I think uh that was my, my main I guess takeaway from watching the game and you know just like it was just like so frustrating watching the defense and then it was also really fun watching the offense they were back to like they were back to their week one bullshit with all the motion and all the right. misdirection. And, and it's like so much fun to watch. That's like the most beautiful offense. And I really liked watching it. So I'm, I'm very excited about what the offense can do. But I think every week is just going to be, they're going to be boomer bust. This is going to be a boomer bust team is my, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, and, and I would rather take a high ceiling, low floor team over, you know, a high floor, low ceiling team, because at least if everything breaks right, you can, you know, you can tell a story, with this team that they can, you know, make a real run. Whereas, you know, I kind of see the Vikings or, or even the Titans uh, as kind of high floor, low ceiling teams. You know, it's, it's kind of tough for me to imagine them as currently constructed. Let's, let's say the Vikings, you know, making a Super Bowl run, but uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You talked about the offense and in all three games, they've scored on three of their first four drives, and most of those scores have been touchdowns. All three of the games, they've scored on three of four? On three of their first four. Wow. Yep. So they start out hot. 
Okay. Yeah, ex- extremely. And so this That's is kind a change. of it, <laughs> it is. It totally is, man. And so so here's what I'm wondering is, you know, the first drive of the Vikings game was so beautiful. I mean, it was getting DK Metcalf the ball early while he's open early in the routes. It was a lot of, like you said, motion misdirection. It was uh, freeing up Chris Carson. It was basically just DK, Chris, DK, Chris, all the way down the field, and they scored a touchdown. And we've seen this insane efficiency from Seattle in the first half. I mean, they're averaging like five and a half points a drive in the first half. It's absolutely absurd. Like, And, and for reference, if you did half of that over the course of a year, you'd have a chance of leading the NFL in scoring. But there's a couple of things. One of them being... You know how offensive coordinators script the first 15 plays? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm beginning to wonder if Shane Waldron isn't like just fucking amazing at that. And then maybe a little struggling a little bit as a first time OC to get off script and and start to make some things work because they they really haven't done much in the second half and and I think the I think the excuse for them and I think there's a lot of validity to it is they're only getting three drives in the second half every game because yeah. the defense can't get off the field. And that kills yeah. rhythm and it kills any margin for error. But the fact of the matter remains that the first half offense has been two or three times what the second half offense has been. That's going to be interesting for me to watch with Waldron is can he learn how to counterpunch? Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's still a question. And so something that I think is very fascinating just about football is like it, it gets conflated a lot is play calling versus or I, I should say scheme versus play calling. Like those are two distinct, different, very, very different things. You can have a good scheme. I think it's very clear in my mind, and I have zero doubt, the Seahawks have a good scheme that they've brought over from L.A., um, which I'm, Rams fans just fucking love this, by the way, that like the Seahawks now want to run the Rams offense. But it's like this is the offense everyone should want to run because it's, number one, it's it works. Who's number one and number two in DVOA this year? The Rams and the Seahawks so far. Um, but number two, it's like, so like I, I, the scheme I think is good. Like it has everything us nerds have been begging Pete Carroll to implement since he came to Seattle. Misdirection, deception, motion, um, you know, and, and it's also, but he also does, it's not like the Chiefs where it's all, all out passing. It's like, it's it's a compromise. It's everything we've been asking for, but also it's run heavy or relatively run heavy. Um, You know, they're running on first down, but they're running well. Like that's like, to me, this is everything the Seahawks fans could have asked for is, and actually hope to get from Pete Carroll is like, it's going to be run heavy, but at least they're doing all this other stuff that we love, like play action, you know, deep shots and and all that stuff. They're kind of making it about uh, Russell Wilson, which is great, but then play calling, this whole different world, this whole distinct thing, a whole distinct talent where you have this offense, you have all these plays. Now you got to figure out how to like put them on the chessboard, right? Like what do you call? And, and you mentioned like the scripting stuff. So it's like that scripting stuff. You can spend, you know, a whole week planning out the first 15 plays. And then what do you do once, you know, those plays are over once you see what the defense is doing? Cause defenses, you know, these other guys are getting paid too. Mike Zimmer is a, famously good defensive coach so like how do they react how are we going to counter punch to what they're doing all that stuff i think um you know the book is still going to be out on walter and i don't i'm not overreacting honestly because i think there was a few plays in the second half of this last game like he missed a pass he missed a pass on third down to a wide open freddie swain which should have been a first down that drive should have kept going it was a great play call it was a great they executed everything except for the throw. Russell Wilson missed the throw. And I think that's where people kind of like, oh, like Shane Waldron can't call plays in the second half. So no, Russell Wilson missed that throw and it would have been a first down. Um, so like you, there's blame to go around. You still have to execute. That's a whole other, that, that's the other thing is like play calling execution. It's all, it all mixes together, but it's like, they're very distinct things. And so, and then the other thing is like, they hit that touchdown throw late in the game, this is probably going to be too late anyway. It was like clearly pass interference. The guy got there early or whatever, and, and that would have been a touchdown. So like if he hits that touchdown, it's slightly different conversation, right? So um, I guess like my point is like we don't know yet. It's it's still too early to tell. I would say there's definitely some promising. I, I would say it's promising and also, but it's been inconsistent because I thought the play calling in week two was a little bit suspect. 
or not suspect, but like it, it was different than it was in week one. And then it was also like back to week one and week three. So it was like week one and three looked very similar to me, like the way that they were going about their business. And week two was just very like, this is the old Seahawks offense. I don't know what we're doing here. Um, so it was just like, you know, it's still a three game sample. We don't really know. <clears throat> um, and, and we'll, we'll, Probably won't find out for a while, but overall, I'm like pretty encouraged. Like you have to be happy with this. Right? I, th- I think on offense you do for sure, and and I think you know there's enough there's enough to be really encouraged by on the offense. I, th- I think it just comes back, like what you're talking about. You your offensive or your your philosophy as far as your game approach goes shouldn't be one where if your quarterback misses one throw in the second half, that's like your best chance to score. Right. Like, you know, the, one of the things and, and, and Danny, I want to ask you, you know, obviously we're, we're coming off of a loss. We're coming off consecutive losses as Seahawks fans here. And, you know, we're, we're staring at a potential first time ever losing three games in a row under Russell Wilson, which is an insane is that right? thing wow. to think about. Yeah. Yeah. They've never lost three games in a row. So um, never started one and three, I'm sure either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that they have. And so, you know, going in, just, just stepping back and, and looking at that game as a whole, what were the three things that you would blame for the loss? <laughs> so like if you had to choose three, I think, uh, Number one, that on defense, just a lack of talent, in in particularly in the secondary, like they just don't have the guys that are capable of running the scheme that Pete Carroll wants to run. So like Pete Carroll, um, and I guess so. Like I wrote down my list: lack of talent, simplicity, are number one and number two. But to me, to, to me, they go together. It's almost like one because um, Pete Carroll, in general, I think throughout his entire tenure with the Seahawks. It's always been the focus has always been much more on uh, personnel over scheme. Like things we we believe our guys can run the scheme better than your guys can run your scheme. We believe we can out execute you. We think we're better. We think we're going to tackle better. We think we're going to hit harder. We're going to do all this stuff. We don't have to have this really ex- complicated, weird thing scheme where we're deceiving everyone we're mixing up like how we look before the snap and i think i saw a stat yesterday that was the seahawks this was from pff and you know i take it with a grain of salt because i you know i don't always know what i'm looking at but like their pff said 92 percent of the time the seahawks line up and just run the look that they're lining up and showing, which is the most in the NFL. Most by like a standard deviation, I think. Right. And like the next, like whatever is like 60 something percent. So it's like other teams are showing something and then rotating into another thing or showing this and playing something completely different because you're trying to trick the quarterback. The the most simple thing is like, you're trying to make it harder for the opposing offense, right? Like that seems like a very simple strategy that I would probably suggest they use, but they don't because they always have believed and Pete Carroll's always believed that his, his scheme is sound. And therefore, we're going to out-execute you. And this is exactly what they've been doing on offense for forever, too, until Shane Waldron came came by, by the way, um, which is that we're going to out-execute you. We're going to play better on third down, blah, blah, blah. Like, I just don't believe that is, like, a good strategy. <laughs> like, it helps to have Hall of Fame players on your defense, and that's why the Legion of Boom was, like, incredibly good for so long is because they had Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Byron Maxwell, whoever, like Brandon Browner, in the back, and they were all working so well together. They were elite, elite talents. And then they could, you know, they they could work and make it work together. Now when you watch the defense, it's just like, this is a clusterfuck. Like, these guys are, every play, it's like someone's running in the wrong direction. And Dude, every play. It's so annoying to watch. It's, like, really annoying to watch. And it's exacerbated in the fact that it's simple. It's like, so, like, I guess, like, how do you fix this? Do you get more simple? Do you make it simpler on these guys? They can't execute the most simple scheme. I like, I don't get it. What are we supposed to do here? Danny, did you see, did you see the, the shot on Twitter? Gosh, I want to say it was Ben Baldwin who posted it and it's uh, a freeze frame zoomed out and Kirk cousins is rolling out to his right setting to throw. And there's a guy wide open, like seven yards down the field. And then there's a guy wide open 20 yards down the field. And then another guy wide open like yeah. 35 yards down the field. And there's not a defender within eight yards of any of them. It's yeah. Like, Great. I can't. This is, so 
I don't remember who said it after the game, but it was like someone, one of the defensive players, I think it was DJ Reed, said they just schemed us up. They just schemed us up. And I remember thinking, watching the game, it was like whenever the Seahawks played a, like a zone look, the Vikings just ran a zone flood, and there was more receivers in the area than there were defenders. It's like this is the easiest fucking thing to do in the world. <laughs> like just keep doing it. Yeah. If this if the Seahawks defenders were playing off fifteen yards, which they were almost the entire game, it felt like they'd just throw a quick like a like a smoke route or whatever, like a quick stop route at the sticks and just get this easy ass first down. It's like Pete Carroll's all about not getting beat deep. But it's like also this is way way too easy. So like my biggest takeaway, lack of talent, not working in the scheme and everything to me, like everything is just way too easy for the offense, way too soft. The old Seahawks defenses were similar schematically, like they would line up and basically play a similar defense. You know, obviously there's tons and tons of like nuances, but they also like hit like bricks and were intimidating and were faster and were way more disciplined and actually ran the scheme to like near perfection. So watching this, it was like way too soft, way too confused. Um, just not good. Like, I don't know how you fix that to be honest. Like I really don't know. And then the other thing that just like annoys the hell out of me is like, I don't know what we're doing with Jamal Adams. I don't know if the Seahawks know what they're doing with Jamal Adams. And this is like, in, it's like a bigger macro thing with the Seahawks, like trading for Jimmy Graham, trading for Percy Harvin, and then trying to like, change them i don't know like if they ever had a plan with jamal adams so i don't know i'm like feeling pretty shitty about the whole jamal <laughs> yeah. adams thing i don't know this, yeah this defense is not good it, it could i think the the one thing i would say and this is what happened last year in addition to the strength of schedule getting really light was it seems like the defender the, the players grew together got better ran the scheme better and were just more disciplined and like just honestly we're just got better at it which i guess can happen um and i'm hoping that happens quickly because like what we saw on sunday especially was just like god this doesn't look like a seahawks offense like they not they're not good at tackling they don't stay in their gaps you know they're getting beat they're not like uh forcing on the outside like forcing a run back inside to the tacklers they're not gang tackling um they're not getting off blocks they're confused every play it's so annoying <laughs> it is. It is. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, keeping it in in Seattle, it reminds me of like Felix Hernandez's career. So Felix Hernandez bursts on the scene, and he could throw all of his pitches by anybody, right? Like he just ha- he had the stuff that he could mm-hmm. just attack with every pitch. And then towards the back end of his career, you know, we've seen other great pitchers evolve, right? Sort of uh, to. <laughs> rope a third sports analogy in here <laughs> develop it. a develop develop a jump shot to extend the career yeah, yeah and you know like jordan being the perfect example of that the, the turnaround like the backup like fall away bank totally shot. when when once once you're not beating everybody off the dribble anymore you find a way to stay effective and and felix never did that he still just was throwing his 89 mile an hour fastball up there he didn't develop new pitches, all of that kind of thing. And that's how I feel like Pete Carroll has approached this defense is he, yes, he spent 40 years building a very specific scheme and he and John Schneider were able to identify quite possibly the literally most perfect human beings to execute that scheme. Like in a course of three years, they just like built this hall of fame defense. It was, inc- it's, it's insane, but it's like, okay. Pretty soon, instead of having like five Hall of Famers on defense and seven Pro Bowlers, you get down to three Hall of Famers and maybe five Pro Bowlers, and pretty soon it's just Bobby. And <laughs> right, and Bobby's <laughs> honestly not as good as he used to be. And so now yeah. it's like, I mean, I think Diggs is good. I think Adams is good. I think Dunlap is good. I think Brooks is going to be really good. But like, they're not. But anywhere Brooks wasn't near. very good in this last game. No, I felt like no, yeah, no. And and I think that goes back to what we're talking about, where it's like they insisted on running this zone scheme and you wonder like if in practice, if they just were like scout team was running plays that made the zone defense work because the, it was like they had never seen an overloaded side of the field before. And, and I think it was the first time Brooks had ever really been put in that position as a zone pass defender in terms of where he was having to pick between multiple receivers who to cover and all this stuff. But, but the, the larger point being like, I am forever grateful to Pete Carroll and John Schneider for what they built 2012 through 2015. 
that four-year run was insane. We'll never mm-hmm. see anything like it again. We might not see it in the NFL ever again, a defense that's that dominant four years in a row. They were holding teams to like 13 points a game or something absurd. Think about that in the current NFL. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Leading the NFL in points per game, four straight years, never al- never allowing 17 points per game for four straight years in the modern <laughs> NFL. So like, ridiculous. Like it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's completely absurd. And and the thing is, is like, yeah, Pete Carroll could say, hey, here is our defense, and whoever is his coordinator was, whether it's Gus Bradley, whether it was uh, Dan Quinn, or whoever, you can just sit there and say, like, yeah, this is our defense. Like, fucking come get us. What sucks is watching them still do that because at some point you have to learn how to counterpunch. We were talking about it with Shane Waldron and all that, but like if all you do for 10 years is put the same thing on film, like the NFL is the fastest learning organism on the planet. Like think about 32 teams with 20 coaches spending 70 hours a week watching film and figuring out tendencies. Like they're going to figure your shit out. By the way, half the league was playing Carroll's scheme after the Legion of Broom. So it's like not just the Seahawks. It's like everyone's trying to beat this defense. Yeah. So, okay. So we like the offense overall. We're, we hate the defense. If you were to pick, I, I won't even ask for three. If you were to say, here's the one thing that I wish I could see Seattle do in this next game against the 49ers that's different from what I've seen in the first three games, what would it be? I think, well, I think the big thing for me, and I don't, I honestly, like, it's tough to put, put, it's tough to do one thing because I think on defense, so I would say for defense, um, it would be very nice if Jamal Adams felt like a bigger impact player i think that's like the one the main thing is like if we see some progress i mean like look he's not like he doesn't suck he's very he's a good player i think he's a very good player um but when you spend two first round picks and make him the highest paid player at his position it's like i want him to look like freaking miles garrett did against the browns like dominating a game tilting the field instead of people getting mad because he like missed a tackle here and, and overran a play here and blah 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 like it's just you know what i mean like he's not he's not someone that really stood out to me i know that he had like 12 tackles in that game but i'm like i don't know like just figure out a way to like make him worth you know what they gave up for him i guess is, is the yeah thing. yeah jamal jamal adams <clears throat> is like a dog that's been cooped up in the house all day and <laughs> then so, plays with energy that's for sure yeah yeah and he's just been like barking out the window all day and he finally gets let out into the yard And I feel like you got to give him a ball to chase or something, right? Like you just say like, here, you're either going to go chase the ball down and make a play or we're going to use you as a blitzer or whatever. But like you brought in this instinctive defensive weapon, the guy with like really elite closing speed, like watching, watching him bend off the edge and catch guys in the backfield on the other side of the field. There was like six plays last year that I'm not sure how many other people in the NFL make. Like, he has that ability. Right, right. <laughs> but he looks like he's out there guessing. Like, he's trying to figure out mid-play what his assignment is, like most of the rest of the defense. I, I would love to see them. I mean, my my one step to fix is right in line with yours. I would love to see them simplify his role. I'm not saying, like, never have him in coverage or blitz him every play or whatever. But, like, right now, I just – I have no idea – what exactly the plan for him is. Good thing is we got 14 more games and they will get better. Like I, I do think we're talking about the worst defensive performance we'll see all year. Yeah. And I think also like the context here is, is important. Like the Vikings offense is really good. I think people haven't really realized how good the Vikings offense is. Kirk Cousins is playing really well. They have two elite receivers an elite running back and a great scheme. And I don't know. So I, like the, obviously that matters. I'm just like, yeah, like, I don't have an answer for how to best utilize a guy. It seems like they sort of painted themselves into a corner with Jamal Adams in multiple ways because trading two first-round picks for him, obviously you have to resign him or else people are going to like never forgive you for it because it's the most stupid move in the world. But like, also now it's like when he's blitzing a lot, like if you look at the numbers, like when he was blitzing, they were just getting torn up on the back end, you know, because they're like taking one guy out of coverage and, if he's not getting home, then you're just getting picked apart in the back end. And so, like, the numbers when he was blitzing, I think, were, like, really bad. And, um, you know, obviously it looks good to have a safety with six or seven – how many ever uh, sacks he had last year. But 
ultimately like is that the best way to use them i don't know i, I really just don't know like what the best way to use them is and i don't yeah. think they know so i uh, yeah maybe like i don't know just spitballing make him like a pure pass rusher or something who knows like i, I really don't know what to do micah parsons him uh, that was the guy i was thinking of that's literally. a great call mike micah parsons is quite a bit bigger um so that's different, but like I don't know, I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think that Jamal Adams is an elite pass rusher, which is funny because he doesn't have like the body type for it or the positional designation right. for it. But I think I think he's like exceptional at that skill, which is the still to this day the most valuable skill set you can have on defense is the ability to rush the passer. Um, but I think that in order to pick your spots with his blitzes, I mean, I imagine. Pete Carroll and Ken Norton Jr. are obviously just as frustrated, more frustrated than we are. It's their reputations. It's their jobs. But, like, it's not like they're just taking this in stride. Right. But but it seemed like a little bit in their defense, in order to really weaponize Jamal Adams, you need to count on the other 10 guys doing their thing. Yeah. And if there's just a guy wide open two seconds into a play, then it doesn't matter if you're blitzing or not. Right. You know, right. so so we'll we'll see. I, I do think it'll get better. And, you know, nice thing is <laughs> this is like a coping mechanism for a team with a losing record is there is an extra game this right. year. There are still there are still 14 games left in this season. It's so tempting to get locked into this is who a team is at the end of September. But like the Bucks were struggling last year, like they they kind of look pretty messy like trying to you know fit some new pieces in down there and and they didn't look like they had an identity Dude, there was a, a few games there where people were like oh brady is done brady totally. washed totally so like <laughs> i'm like, not i'm not a little early on that one a little early on that call <laughs> yeah yeah it reminds me the the year that the seahawks lost to the patriots in the super bowl Earlier that season, it was like game four or whatever. It was a Monday night game, and it was the Chiefs versus the the Patriots. And the Chiefs won by like four touchdowns. And Bill Belichick was like answering, fielding questions after the game about whether it was time for a quarterback change. And that was like seven years ago, right? So This I mean, was the on to Cincinnati game, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Someone asked and him like, if he was going to bench Tom Brady. It's like, And he just gave him the most hilarious look. He's like, come on, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, I'm not – I'm not burying this team. I think there's a lot of no. really good players on this team, but it does suck to be one and two when the rest of your division is just curb stomping the league. You know, it's not like yeah. it's not like we're in the AFC South where it's like, oh yeah, we'll be fucking fine after we play our division opponents. So you you asked me to identify one of the easiest fixes. I think another one, like, and this is more fun and more lighthearted and and makes me more encouraged about the Seahawks is if they actually just can embrace. Uh, who they are, I guess, and actually just stomach like Pete, Pete Carroll's gonna have to like actually stomach this and like commit to it, and not I don't know what the word is, just not beat around the bush about like who this team is. Embrace the fact that if they're gonna win, it's gonna be because their offense is just a buzzsaw, and this is who the Chiefs are now. And the Chiefs, I think, as we've seen this year, are they're going to be more boom bust than normal because they just don't have that much talent anymore on defense. Um, and they're banged up. And if, if Patrick Mahomes does Patrick Mahomes things, then they're probably going to win. And I think this is who the Seahawks are. If, if Russell Wilson can do Russell Wilson things, Seahawks are going to win more often than not. Um, it's going to be hard because the defense is not very good and they're going to give up a lot of points and they're going to ask Russell Wilson to be nearly perfect. However, after spending the entire freaking off season sorry can i swear on this pod i assume that's fine you'd say this is the most ridiculous shit in your in your car we're like 14 cusses in so <laughs> yeah <laughs> this one, I, think I know good. i'm just like is mike gonna have to be bleeping out all these is, so, is um, my work cut out for me what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> uh no but like after hearing all off season literally like this is the only fucking thing the players talked about all off season is tempo right tempo Oh yeah, I love this. It's, we're up tempo. We're up tempo. Like th- anytime anyone was asked how the offense is looking, it was like, oh yeah, I'm excited about the tempo. It's all up tempo. The Seahawks, and I saw this from Pat, uh, Pat Thorman at Established Run. He does a, he does a great study every year um, of how fast teams are playing. Um, Seattle's new, situation neutral s- snap rate. So basically, when the score is within X amount of points, I think it's eight uh, one score. 
how fast do teams go? Because obviously as you start to lose, you speed up because you have to. Um, Seattle's situation neutral seconds per snap was 27.9 in week one, 28.6 in week two, 33.1 in week three. Their no huddle rate has gone from 27% week one to 10% week two and 6% in week three. Ugh. Pete Carroll is already, and this is exactly what I'm quoting Pat. He's already lost his nerve. He's already lost his nerve three weeks in. Um, and after we heard all off season, literally the only thing freaking team, like all these players were excited about was the tempo, tempo, tempo. We're going to fucking speed up. We're going to knock people off their block. We're going to be like Mike Tyson in, in the, when the bell goes, you know, and they've already lost their nerve. Now what they're doing is trying to slow down the offense because the defense is on the field too much, which I get. But what they're doing is they're making the offense worse and the defense sucks instead of the <laughs> yeah. offense is awesome and the defense sucks and we're just going to go go for it. You know what I mean? So, like, he thinks they're connected. He thinks the offense is making the defense worse, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think so either. And the thing that's frustrating to me is he is coaching like an underdog. And what I mean by that is if you're if you're a college team, you're fucking Georgia Southern and you're playing Alabama so that they'll pay you $3 million and keep your football program alive, your goal is to minimize the number of possessions in a game, right? right? You want to maximize variance on right. each possession. Hope the to other give yourself team a better chance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, think about it this way: if you have a a one in three chance of of getting something right, and you had to bet ten thousand dollars on this thing, are you gonna are you gonna bet ten thousand dollars on your one in three chance coming out ahead more often than not on? one opportunity or on a hundred right because on a hundred you're gonna there's the odds are not in your favor man zero times out of a (laughs) hundred is your one in three chance going to get 51 or more times but you have a legit one in three chance on one so that's the goal right is like if you're less talented you want to minimize the number of possessions in a game the way that the seahawks are approaching this is acting as if they're the least talented team on the field and they're going to try and keep this to an eight possession game yeah. on each side, which is what they've done. And to me, that doesn't make any sense at all because I do think in terms of talent on the field, there's a lot of teams with more depth, but I don't think there's a ton of teams with as much top-end talent as Seattle has. And instead of leaning into that, and instead of leaning into the fact that more possessions for one of the best offenses in the NFL is a good thing, they're trying to minimize that. And and you say, okay, yeah, well, all right, well, their defense can't get off the field. Well, it's because they're playing a scheme that doesn't let them get off the field. Yeah, they're playing like eight yards off on third and four. The Vikings were nine for 14 on third downs, and three of those failures to convert ended up in field goals. So we're talking about like just what essentially ends up is a 12 for 14 success rate on third down. Because when you play that soft, it's this bend but don't break, and you just give teams the field until they're in field goal range. And then you're counting on the compression of the field to help you out. And that's not even working. Yeah. Well, they're bent. They, they want to be bend, but don't break, but they're just bend and then break, which is yeah. like the worst thing you can do for your offense. <laughs> so once like, you just want them to let them fucking give up big plays. So Russell Wilson can go back out there. It's not really what you want, but like, yeah, they're, they, he's, this is like exactly what Pete Carroll's done for a long time. It's like he's coaching the team that he wants to have, not that he actually has. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, like, the Seahawks don't turn the ball over. Like, on either side of the ball, there's just like, if you're tuning into a Seahawks game, there's like a 50% chance there won't be one single turnover in that game. One, because there's so few possessions. But two, the defense doesn't force any. Uh, and there, there's like no gambling on defense. And my thing is, okay, three games in, like it turns out the Colts just probably suck a lot. Right. And so, you know, they like sort of held them in check on offense. I mean, they did for, they did, they, they held the Colts in check, but like the Titans are pretty decent offense. The Vikings are pretty decent offense, but they're not nuclear offenses and they did everything they wanted. And I think that it's something where, look, Right now, the team you have is one that's probably going to give up a score. So let's do that quickly. (laughs) Let's blitz. Let's press the receivers early. Let's try and force panic decisions. And yeah, a lot of times you're going to get beat. But your other system isn't working. You're just getting paper cut to death. So like, let's let's risk a stab wound and get our 
offense back on the field one way or another. And you're going to turn, you're going to force some turnovers. You're going to get some sacks doing that. So that's what I'd like to see is just like attack on defense, knowing that, you know what, you're probably not very good right now on defense. So attack, try to dictate terms a little bit knowing that your offense is going to go out and score three to four points per drive and scoring three to four points per drive is going to win you a lot of football games. Yeah. Uh, since, since we're talking about the Seahawks from like a, a sort of an altitude perspective and, and looking at them sort of writ large news broke today that Richard Sherman signed with the Buccaneers. And I believe it was, uh, is it Dove Kleiman? I, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. But he tweeted that, uh, and, and, and we've known, kind of those of us who have followed the Seahawks closely, that there's been a dalliance between Richard Sherman and, and the Seahawks this offseason. Uh, turns out, they never gave him an offer, which is mm-hmm. fine. You know, we all, we all know that there was an off-the-field incident, and, and maybe that closed the door for Seattle. Except, we find out that as... Richard Sherman is getting ready to make his decision about whether or not to join the Super Bowl champions. Seahawks all of a sudden call him and be like, hey, sign with us, sign with us. And he was just like, get out of here. <laughs> like, get out of here. What are, you, what are you doing? What was your takeaway from that story? Well, I guess my first takeaway is I'm not sure that was what actually happened. Based on, I think what he said on, what Richard Sherman said on his podcast would, would seem to refute that report, which was... Okay, okay. That, I have not heard that. Yeah, Sherman... Intimated, and I saw this from uh, Condota and a couple other people that basically the Seahawks had shown interest early on in the process, and were essentially stringing Sherman along. I think it was kind of like a backup plan type deal. Like if we go into the season and our corners suck, which is what's happening, uh, maybe then we'll we'll do this thing. And then I think I'm guessing the off the off field thing probably was a bit of a deal breaker. I I'm just guessing at this point, but like, you know, that was definitely, it, it was a weird situation. It was not a good situation. And, um, maybe that at that point they were like, okay, this is, you know, I mean, when, when they first broke up, when, when Sherman and the Seahawks first broke up, it was like, he was being, you know, he was like talking out against Carol and press conferences, like a loose cannon. He like, spent the night before his wedding, like airing all the dirty laundry to Seth Wicker's <laughs> I'm just guessing, and this is guessing. This is me reading the tea leaves. Yeah. They saw what happened with Sherman, and were like, okay, well, he's clearly not in a good mind space. This is going to end up going like it went last time, where he's um, essentially usurping Carol's authority and, and whatever. And, I, you know, I, I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened in the locker room with the Seahawks when, when they ended up breaking up. But, like, obviously he had good football ahead of him still, and they still broke up. There was enough going on in the in the in the locker room for them to move on. So um, that would be my guess. And, and what Condota reported is that yeah, again, there was some early interest, and we had heard that uh, like you know that the Seahawks were into it. It was maybe going to happen, um, but it just didn't happen. So I I really don't think that it was like oh yeah, come back to us. I don't think that happened. The truly disheartening thing is that the way you the wording you used to describe that wasn't inferred. Sherm said explicitly Seattle's kind of stringing you along hasn't offered you anything yeah per Bob they didn't even offer him a contract right they were just like yeah we're interested and he signed like a pretty is like an escalate like uh performance escalations things like that playoff escalations but it's like a pretty minimum contract so um I think if they wanted him to come to the Seahawks it would have happened but it didn't sound like they did well his most recent team happens to be Seattle's next opponent. And uh, depending on your perspective, Seattle either gets to or has to play 14 more games. So, <laughs> and the next one is their first divisional game. It's the San Francisco 49ers, two and one, uh, coming off uh, a closer than it really was win against the Lions in week one, a kind of grinded out win against the Eagles in week two, and then a heartbreaking loss to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in week three. Danny, what are your feelings coming into this game? Um, I think it's, it's always tough playing the 49ers. It's such a good rivalry. It's always like, you know, such a feud between the two teams, between the two teams' fan bases. Um, I think this is a good team. They probably should have beat the Packers the other day. Um, and, you know, with Shanahan – when you got a guy, there's a Stephen Ruiz, one of my colleagues from uh, The Ringer, 
has a meme that he does like 16 times a week or uh, 16 times a season where it's like Shanahan looking into a microscope and then he shows like who that guy I'm going to pick on each week is. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to know who he's going to pick on in this game. It's going to annoy me really bad to see. Cause he'll, he'll, he'll do that. Shanahan will be like, all right, Derek or uh, not Derek Brooks. I wish it was Derek Brooks, uh, Jordan Brooks. Um, maybe like, that's the guy this week. I'm just naming a random player. Like he's just going to like go at this guy all game. And like every time he has an opportunity, he's going to pick on him. Um, so as a, I think Shanahan, he's jumped the shark in my opinion, in some ways as like a personnel guy and like as a motivator and a, and a head coach. But I think it's tough to like doubt what he can do as a play caller and what, as a schemer, like he's constantly, it's like, it's like McVeigh. Why does this all happen in the NFC West, by the way? It's like McVeigh, just dudes running wide open all game long. Like I'm looking forward to that. So that's going to be tough, but I do think they're beatable, of course. And I think the Seahawks, if they embrace, like I said, if they embrace who they are, I, th- I think they need to be. Um, and, you know, pick up the tempo, like go all out on offense, like stop trying to, like you said, limit the amount of possessions in a game. Give Russell Wilson as many plays and many chances as he can to put points on the board. Um, I think good things will happen. So, you know, I think it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a good game. But it's also one of those games where it's like, oh, God, I don't really want to face Shanahan and see who he has to pick on this week. You know, that's so interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things, like, we both play fantasy football, you know, we, you talk about it for a living. And one of the things that's, like, so weird about the 49ers is you never know whose game it's going to be, right? Like, one one week Debo Samuel will have 12 catches, the next it's George Kittle, the next it's mm-hmm. Brandon Ayuk, you know. And, and I think you're, you're speaking to that. It's, it's interesting. It's I've always thought about that as, like, okay, this is who we want to feed, but what you're saying or what Steven Ruiz is saying seems to make more sense where it's just like, Hey, if they're going to keep putting Trey flowers on Brandon Ayuk, like it's going to be a Brandon Ayuk game type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that's really interesting. So my next question to you is how does Seattle win this game? Like Seattle just won the game. We're talking about it. How did they do it? They scored more points, Jackson. Um, I think it, I honestly just think, well, like I think, you know, to, basically put a bow on everything we've just been talking about. Like, I really do think they just need to embrace who they are at this point. Like Pete Carroll, stop trying to coach a team that has a terrible defense. Stop trying to limit, like stop trying to play Legion of Boom football, (laughs) I guess. And like, you don't have the Legion of Boom anymore. Um, It's just annoying. You know, and I think like, I think this defense will improve as the year goes on, like I said, but it's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to, it probably won't happen against this uh, offensive schemer um so um i would just say pick up the tempo score as many points as you can let russell wilson do his thing sometimes russell wilson's not going to be perfect no quarterback is perfect um you know i think that it's funny because it feels like because seahawk fans have been lobbying so hard over the years to like let russ cook and let russ do his thing blah 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 because they've been doing that wilson has an unrealistic and unfair bar to clear, um, you know, based on like how he plays, like if he throws a few picks or if he makes a few mistakes or if he's does the Russell Wilson thing and like takes a couple extra too many sacks or whatever, like, you know, he's not like going to just make no mistakes. But I think like, obviously the the bigger picture is like the more opportunities you give him, like he's going to make good shit happen. So um, yeah, I would just say, you know, let it, let him go. Let let Waldron do the thing that we've been freaking hearing about all off season. Um, I think this is a really good offense, honestly, and um, I'm excited about the offense. I think the offense could really carry them to you know to be a really good team. It's going to be, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be a high variance team, and I think we're seeing that. And th- this is actually why um, we're seeing sort of out of characteristic games, maybe at, for the Seahawks, like they're getting blown out and they're blowing team. They will, I'm sure they will blow out teams. It's because in those situations, you're not limiting. It's not, the game isn't eight possessions and whoever finishes with the ball last wins kind of deal. It's like, you know, it's, it's flipping the coin 50 times versus flipping it seven times or whatever. You know what I mean? I think that's a good metaphor because like really like, yeah, if you flip the coin 50 times, the Seahawks are going to win more games. Than yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, Russell Wilson is the ultimate equalizer. He's he he's the, you know, lamb's blood on the doorway. 
And it's it's kind of one of those things where it's frustrating to watch him only get three possessions in the second half of a game. The way that I see Seattle winning this, I actually see this as a kind of a get-right opportunity for the defense. And the reason I say that, yeah, yeah, Shanahan is a great play caller, and they've got some really remarkable talent on offense. Their pass catchers especially. Their line is really good. But... but <laughs> they are averaging three and a half air yards per pass this year. Jimmy G ain't it. So he's, he's just not it. And, and yeah. Shanahan has done a great job of, of protecting him with his scheme. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like almost an amplified version of what, how McVay had to protect Jared Goff. Right. But Seattle has played three quarterbacks that have the ability to throw well on all three levels. I mean, Wentz has the ability. Tannehill has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL the last two years. Cousins is very good at that. Like, Cousins can make every throw. Dude, Tannehill was making some obscene throws against the Seahawks. Like, he's... Yeah. These are good quarterbacks. Jimmy G ain't doing that shit. Garoppolo is is not doing it. Well... Here's my thing. Yeah. Let's let's force him to Let try. Him. Yeah. Like this is the game where you gamble on a receiver's first move in the route. This is the game where you blitz. This is the game where you dictate terms to the offense. And you know what? If they beat you, they beat you. But you don't have to worry about some great 35-yard out route throw from the quarterback. Like they want to throw it early. You know they're going to do it. So jump some routes, gamble. If you're going to get beat, you know what? You're going to get beat playing soft anyway, but let's let's take a chance on a pick. I th- I think that they can I think they could get right if they do that in this game. And they're going to need to because they got the Rams 4 days after that. So my question to you Danny is to what degree I can't believe I'm saying this in September. To what degree is the season on the line this week? I don't really like to think about it like that to be honest. I, there's just so it's so many there's so many things that can happen during a season uh, that and especially now with more playoff teams and more games, the old numbers are out the window. Like, you know, there's a famous thing like, oh, if you lose your first two games, 17% of the teams make the playoffs or whatever. It's like, no, that's not the math anymore because there's two extra playoff teams and there's an extra game. So I, I'm not going to do the math myself because I'm lazy, but I'm sure the math changes when you do that. Um, so I'm not really, you know, I'm not going to do – I don't think any – I don't think it's like a must-win situation. If they lose these next two games, it's going to put them in a bad situation. Like they're going to have their backs to the wall. Um, that's just the fact of life. But like, I don't. I really don't know if you can like. It's not. I don't think it makes any sense to be like, oh yeah, if we don't win this, our season's over. Like that's you know that doesn't make any sense. The other thing I wanted to add, two things because we talked so much about Russell Wilson, but I want to add like this offense is not just Russell Wilson. It's a good run game too, and. Um, like I said earlier, it's actually pretty it's it's relatively balanced. Like it's not this let Russ cook thing that we saw last year with Shoddy where it was like they they were passing x amount over expectation based on compared to the rest of the NFL by like a ton. Like this is like a relatively balanced team they're running on first down and they they've been pretty good running. Like I think Chris Carson's looked pretty good. And I think a lot of that has to do with the misdirection and all that stuff and I think it really mixes well together. They marry it well. Um, so they, I do think they have to run the ball a lot and, and not a lot. I think they need to run the ball well. And I think that will all kind of mix in together against this team. And then for, on the other side, if the Seahawks can't stop the run, they're going to lose. I know that everyone talks about the passing game and I, I am a huge proponent of like passing is way more efficient and you can't win in the NFL anymore if you don't pass, but like Shanahan will run you into the ground and then he will bleed out your possessions, exactly what <clears throat> what we saw with the Vikings last uh, on Sunday. Shanahan will do what Pete Carroll wants to do, which is he'll give Russ like three possessions <laughs> a half, and then that will make every third down be like, well, we didn't get that third down, we're losing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so that is that if they can't run, stop the run, like Shanahan has shown this in the past, they'll just keep running on you. He'll run it forty times. Yeah. And he doesn't give a shit. Well, and and it comes down to how you run. You know, you talked about earlier I was with the Rams offense, whether it be McVay or Waldron calling the plays, like it's a dynamic run offense. Kyle Shanahan's run offense is dynamic. I mean, you and I both, I would assume all three of us here are in favor of passing more often. When you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson, like you should let him be Russell Wilson as often as possible. But like my favorite offensive coordinator in the NFL is Greg Roman 
because in a league, yeah, yeah, in a league where everybody is passing more and more, they run it more than anyone else. And I'm not saying that because I love running the football. I'm saying it because they do it in such a creative and dynamic way, and and they maximize the talent that they have in such a way that then their passing offense becomes like crazy efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's how you end up with Lamar Jackson, who I think passer for passer is not like a top five thrower of the football in the NFL can win an MVP and lead in lead the NFL in touchdown passes and, and be on pace this year for the most yards in NFL history. So um, it's cool to see them run the ball dynamically. I, I like that part of it. I hope they can do it against San Francisco, but it, it can't just be about shortening the game anymore. You got you got to go out and hope that each team is getting 12 possessions in a game and we're just going to score more than you. The reason they're so obsessed with third down is because you have X amount of possessions in a game. And if you fuck up on third downs, like you're going to lose, you know what I mean? Like don't make it about every third down, just run, like go all out, go like go for freaking try and get first downs on second down, buddy. You know, we, we talk a lot about third down efficiency is like the mark of a good offense. But for me, the fewer, the third downs you have, the better your offense is doing. Peyton Manning was saying that on the Manning cast the other day, by the way, it's not just us nerds. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, just since you brought up uh, Roman and Lamar, I saw Greg Rosenthal tweet this out the other day. Lamar Jackson leading the NFL in yards per carry and yards per completion, and everyone hates him. Everyone thinks he sucks. Doesn't make any fucking sense. No, it doesn't, man. It, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's going to be really interesting to – be a week from now and, and kind of looking at, at where Seattle is. When I wrote the article, I was, I was pretty hot, but rereading it, it was, when are you not hot Jackson? <laughs> rereading it. I was like, all right, all right, all right. You know, honestly, every team has shitty games and, and I've always kind of fallen on the side of, Hey, it's, it's okay. Like you can, you can flush a bad performance. Uh, it does, that doesn't Jaylen mean that's Hurts. who you was. Yeah. 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 Right. I love, love that quote. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not burying this team at all. I don't think the season is on the line. Um, but I do think this is the toughest division they've ever had to face. I do think their margin for error is lower and we're going to at least need we're going to at least need to see the compass start pointing in the other direction this week, uh, regardless of what the final score is. Yeah. I completely agree. If you're looking at it from, again, that umbrella perspective, what would you be more confident in facing a division like this in the year 2021? A team that has an offense that is capable of being top two or three in the league and a shitty defense or the inverse of that? Uh, That's a good question. It's I don't know. It's tough because the Buccaneers have both and the Rams just fucking boat raced them. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what you do. I think I'd rather have an elite de- offense because the game is geared towards that. The rules are geared towards that, um, and it's just more fun to watch. I, well, I know that's like a lot of old purists would probably say that the Legion of Boom was more fun to watch. I think that they were definitely fun to watch, but um, this ain't that. No one's dude. Sherman uh, not walking through that door. Certainly not peak Sherman. Hurl uh, Thomas not coming back. So I don't know. My my answer to your question, Mike, is I would rather they were the Rams. That's a disgusting thing for you to say. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I, I I would prefer that they just have the best offense in the NFL and then that they also have the best defense in the NFL. Yeah. I think that I think that's the best way to win the division. The easy way to answer this is I want both, really. <laughs> yeah. Um What's more likely to happen, Mike? What is more likely to happen? That nobody has a good time. <laughs> We're stressed out from start to finish. Being being a national NFL writer is such a blessing, by the way. It's it's like because I can't focus only on the Seahawks anymore. Like I'm not actually allowed to. Uh, so it's nice. It's nice on like the mental psyche of everything. But we are we also get to watch a very good team every year. So what do we bitch? Totally. About? Totally. We, we get a lot of wins. I, I would serious answer, Mike. I would rather have a great offense and a bad defense because at least you're never out of it, right? If you've got a shitty offense 
and maybe you give up a, a defensive touchdown or put yourself in bad field position or whatever, and you find yourself down two or three scores, like the game's over. Like, it's just over. If you've got a great offense and a crappy defense, like, <laughs> I mean, how many times have we seen it? It was like the whole first half of last year. It was like, it didn't matter. It literally didn't matter what the score was in the third quarter. Didn't matter. Patrick Mahomes came back from a, what was it, 24 to nothing or 24 to three? And they took the lead before halftime. In the divisional yeah. round of the playoffs. <laughs> they, yeah. It didn't take them the whole game. Before halftime, they took back the lead because they have a buzzsaw offense. I know that the defense did some stuff too, but I'm just saying. Like, it's nice to have that. Yeah, and I, I think I agree. I agree with both of you on that because, I mean, you have to be able to keep pace. That's what it comes down to. And you want to go back to the basketball analogy even if you have an elite defense in 2021, like bucket getters are going to get buckets. You yeah, know? totally. Do you think the other thing, like I'm thinking just big picture football, everything, NFL rules, the development of quarterbacks, the development of receivers. There's a million receivers in the NFL who do like the most incredible shit every weekend. And I'm just thinking like, it's not as hard as it used to be to string together 11, 12, play drives like that was like the big crux of the bend don't break thing is oh yeah it's hard it's hard to get teams or it's hard for teams to put together 11 and 12 play drives consistently through games here's the thing it's not as hard anymore maybe i mean i don't know because i'm not an nfl quarterback but and offense is at an all-time high so i'm guessing it's not as hard as it used to be also with rules that make it impossible for uh cornerbacks to do anything um, it's, it's easier to get those plays. It's easier to get like the first downs on third down, blah, blah, blah. You know, you get a little hold and it's an automatic first down. So I don't know, man. It's just like, if, if that's what you're putting all your eggs into that basket, I know the Seahawks are not putting all their eggs into that basket, but like, if that's how you expect to win week in and week out is by, you know, giving up a little stuff, but like not, not breaking when you get to the red zone. It's like, I don't know if that's like really the best way to go about it anymore. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been a recurring theme with the Seahawks for the last probably five, maybe six seasons is to what degree is Pete Carroll willing to adapt, right? The NFL is adapting at lightning pace. It's so hard to get good and stay good in the NFL. Can, can Pete Carroll make the changes can he stick first of all, just as importantly, can he make, you know, can he make the changes to the things that aren't working, but can he stick with the things that are on, on offense, which is the tempo, which is the misdirection um, and, and all of that stuff. So the division games all this year, they're going to be every Seahawks nightmare we've had for the last 10 years. <laughs> Do you remember when the Seahawks, the six to three overtime win over the Cardinals? Like that's no, a it's the six, six tie. Six, it was six, a six, tie. six tie. It's a bygone era. <laughs> That is yeah. never happening again. Not with Kyler in the division. Sorry. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Uh, well, that's one in the books. This is the first step in a long journey in a weird kind of codependent relationship with each other and with the Seahawks. And I want to thank Danny for joining us. Danny, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, Danny B. Kelly on Twitter. You can find me at TheRinger.com. Uh, we do draft guide, fantasy draft guide. I'm a co-host on the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Every once in a while, I'm on the NFL show. So yeah, check us out. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Jackson Bevins. Remember, that's J-A-C-S-O-N. No K. No K is okay. Mike is at Mike Barwin, B-A-R-W-I-N. And the show is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. And of course, this show and every article at Fugles.com slash Cigar Dash Thoughts. Uh, if you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your preference. That type of feedback it really does mean the world to us, and, and it's going to help build momentum for the show moving forward. That's it for today, folks. We'll catch you next week with the one and only Danny O'Neill. Until then, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.